All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Daily Power Power Show, Wednesday. Wednesday, 12, 18 p.m. Where's my date? My, my, my computer changed. Oh, no. Wednesday, June 22nd. There you go. Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. It is great to see you. We have a lot to talk about. Torah portion this week is Shlach. The major drama is, this, is the story of the scouts turned spies. Scouts turned spies. That makes sense. The, um, the tourists turned spies. The individuals who um, abrogated, violated, went against their shlichut, their mission, instead of uh, reporting the facts back to Moses about the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, they went to the people, they held a press conference, they said, it's beautiful land, but there's no way we can, we can, uh, we can conquer it. They sowed fear and, uh, and anxiety within the people. The people cried, they bemoaned, they bewailed their fate, and thus God got uh, uh, the, the consequence. I was about to say angry, but who am I to impose a, uh, an emotion on God? God, uh, as a result, God expresses his desire to Moses to destroy the people, starting again with him. Moses says, you can't do it. After all, you're all compassionate. You have, you're slow to anger. You have lots of patience, right? So you got to forgive the people. And so uh, God says, fine, I won't destroy them, but... This generation, the men, 20 to 60, that generation is not going to enter the land of Israel. They will perish before they go in. Not in one day, not in one plague, but over the years, over the next 39 years or so, they are going to, they're going to die out and the next generation is going to go in, except for uh, Caleb and Joshua as well. Those are the only two that are going to go in the land. Okay, so that's, that's kind of where we left it off yesterday. And what I want to do today, we mentioned yesterday, we're going to get into some of the Kabbalah, some of the spirituality of the story, some of the deeper messages, uh, deeper intentions of the spies. Why did they, how could they, why did they mess up so badly? Um, that, we, we, that we will explore today. But first, but first, but first, we're going to read the reading. Okay, we're going to get back inside. We're going to start right away with the Torah text for the reading for today, which is uh, Wednesday, so it's the fourth reading. Uh, Torah portion Shlach, once again, and I am sharing my screen with all y'all. Numbers chapter 14, verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How much longer will this evil congregation who are causing to complain against me exist? How long will this go on for? How many more shenanigans? The complaints, as it were, the complaints of the children of Israel, which they caused them to complain against me, I have heard. I've heard it all. I'm aware of the complaints. They have reached the CEO. Say to them, God says to Moses and Aaron, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, if not as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. In this desert, in other words, you don't want to go in? You won't go in. I've listened to you. I've heard what you said. I've heard your cries and shouts. No worries. You have nothing to worry about. You don't want to go in. You're not going to go in. In this desert, your corpses shall fall. Your entire number. All those from the age of 20 and up. It sounds like a legal, uh, you know, 
of course, eligible eligibility from 20, 20 and above. So all those of age 20 and up, all the men 20 plus, who were counted, i.e. 20 to 60 years old, because those were the ones that were counted amongst the general census, they will not go into the land. Their corpses shall fall in the desert. Why? Because you complained against me. The message should continue. You shall not come into the land concerning which I raised my hand that you would settle in it. Raise my hand, meaning I promised that, I, that you would settle in it. You will not go into that land. Except, and here we have the two exceptions, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember, those were two of the 12 spies. Those were the two spies. Spies. Those are the two of this group that remained faithful to the mission in the sense that they trusted that Hashem would grant them victory no matter what came their way. The other 10 veered off different direction. So the entire congregation is out except for Caleb and Joshua. As for your infants, I love this line, of whom you said that they will be as spoils. Remember, they were saying, our wives and our children, they're going to be taken captive. We're going to be murdered if we try to go into the land. As for the infants, of whom you said that they will be as spoils. Yeah, the little kids, they're going to be the ones. The next generation, they will be the ones to inherit the land. I will bring them there and they will come to know the land which you despised. Those kids, that just protecting the kids, they don't need your protection. In fact, they're stronger than you because ultimately they will take on this challenge. They will step into Canaan. They will fight the battles. They will conquer and settle the land and they are going to be the ones that will, that will enjoy the blessing of the promised land. But as for you, just to reiterate, your corpses shall fall in this desert. Your children shall wander in the desert for 40 years and bear your defection. They're going to pay the price and they're going to go in, but they're going to pay the price for 40 years until the last of your corpses has fallen in the desert. According to the number of days which you toured the land, 40 days, a day for each year, you will thus bear your iniquities for 40 years Thus, you will come to know my alienation. Wow, such strong words here. This is all the message that God tells Moses and Aaron to deliver to the people in God's name. Basically, you guys, 20 to 60, all the guys that we counted, you are out. You will pass away over the next 40 years. Your corpses shall remain in the desert. Your children will be the ones that go in until 40 years time they will wander they will bear your defection i love that line bear your defection they're gonna feel the brunt feel the pain of your mistake of your rebellion by having to wander not being not growing up right now in israel so they're gonna pay the price but they're gonna go in you're not going to and how long is the term 40 years why 40 years a day a year per day they toured the land for 40 days, 40 years of wandering. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken. If I will not do this to this entire, to the entire evil congregation who have assembled against me, in other words, it means I promise I will. It's just look at the, the old double negative type thing. But, but God is basically saying, I guarantee that this is going to happen. 
to the entire evil congregation who have assembled against me in this desert, they will end, and there they will die. That's the third time that it's mentioned that they will pass away, perish in the desert, and not go into land. All right. As for the men whom Moses had sent to scout the land, who returned and caused this enti- the entire congregation to complain against him by spreading a slanderous report of, of, about the land, the men who spread an evil report about the land died in the plague before the Lord. So the Torah clarifies that the men, the ten spies that Moses sent, they're not even called spies, the ten scouts that Moses had sent to scout the land, the, the, the ten who caused the whole kerfuffle, the whole, I don't know, debacle, those ten, they died in a plague before the Lord. Sounds like, to me, sounds like at that point in time, they didn't die over the next 40 years. They perished pretty immediately. You know, I was, I was joking, yeah, joking, whatever, I was tongue-in-cheeking the other day about how no one names their kids after these names. Remember, we were reading the, the leaders of those tribes. I guess that makes sense. Caleb and Joshua, you can go for, but these, the other 10 spies, I don't know. These guys died in a plague. They caused mass calamity to befall the Jewish people for 40 years. Probably not a uh, somebody who you're running to name after. Next, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to tour the land. Those were the two that survived. That was the message. And uh, what happens next is Moses related all these words to the children of Israel. He told them all that God had said. You're not going to go into the land. You're going to perish. You're going to wander, etc. And the people mourned greatly. Now they realized, now they realized they were in trouble. Now they realized that they were literally in timeout. I mean, like, I don't know what other greater form of timeout you can get. 40-year timeout. And now they feel bad. In Tanya, he discusses the psychology of this, which we're going to get to in a moment. But look what happens next. So what they do, they... Not all, but there was a certain group that arose early in the morning, the next morning, and they ascended to the mountaintop. They said, let's go, saying, we are ready to go up to the place of which the Lord spoke, for we have sinned. They said, you know what? We acknowledge, we own it, we messed up, but now we're ready to go to Israel. They said, let's go, let's go. Who has 40 years? Who wants to die in the desert? We're ready to go. <laughs> Still can't get it right. Moses said, why do you transgress the word of the Lord? It will not succeed. It's too late. It's like, hold on. When you were supposed to go, you said you didn't want to go. When you're told that you can't go, now you want to go. Sounds like a reverse psychology here, right? Sounds like a... A bad case of the old reverse psychology-itis. It's like, you, you're going to go. I don't want to go. Fine, you won't go. I want to go. It's, what's going on here? Again, Tanya, he discussed the psychology. I'm going to get into it in a moment. But Moses warns them, warns this group of people, do not go up. This is dangerous. You're playing with fire. For the Lord is not among you. 
so that you will not be beaten by your enemies. Don't go up so that you won't be beaten. In other words, if you go up, you will be beaten by your enemies. It's not going to end well. And now Moses tries to scare them. It's so funny how he's like puppeting the same lines almost. He's repeating the same lines as the spies, but this time God will not be with them. For the Amalekites and Canaanites, it's the same words that they used. For the Amalekites and Canaanites are there before you, and you will fall by the sword. Look who's doing the fear-mongering now. The whole, like, the whole, everyone's taking a different role. It's very weird. It's like a school play, and everyone, like, halfway through, just puts on a different costume. They are now believers. Moses is a skeptic. It's like, okay, very interesting. For you have turned away from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. I mean, the answer is right here, because now... It's like little kids. It is like, like little kids. It's exactly little kids. It's exactly little kids. You tell them they, 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 they have to, or they should, they don't want to. Now then you tell them they can't, now they want to. Right? And now Moses says, but, but it's too late. Now God's not with you. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites, that is going to be a problem. They are going to be a problem. That, that, now you're, now you're going to be toast. So what happened is they didn't listen. Obviously. They defiantly ascended to the mountaintop. But the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord and Moses did not move from the camp. In other words, typically on their journeys or out to war, the Ark would go with them in battle. The Torah talks about this. But, it did, but this time, it wasn't sanctioned. Moses said no. The Ark didn't go. I mean, the priest didn't let it go. It's, it's no dice, no deal, no, no movement. These were a, a group of people that decided to do it on their own. And what happened was, that, so these people ascend to the mountaintop. It sounds like they already went into Israel or tried to approach. And sure enough, the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived on the mountain came down and smote them and crushed them, pursuing them until Kharma. Basically routed and destroyed and, 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 and killed the people that tried to unilaterally take the land. We're going to stop here. We're going to stop here. We're going to do some Rashis. And at this point... Uh, I mentioned yesterday, at this point, the, the, the narrative kind of pivots about offerings and as if, like, nothing happened. <laughs> oh, by the way, when you bring an offering, you know, just... <laughs> so, we're not going to continue. We're going to do Rashi's. I want to kind of tie together this narrative and then share the deeper insight that I mentioned yesterday. All right, we have a lot of Rashi's to get to. Okay, so God says to Moses and Aaron... All the way at the top of today's reading, how much longer will this evil congregation complain? Evil congregation, Rashi. This refers to the spies. We derive from here that a congregation numbers a minimum of 10. And this should shock you. This should knock your socks off. How do we know that you need 10 for a minion? How do you know that for a quorum... That for, to, to constitute public congregational prayer, how do you know that the number is 10? Right here. Because God calls them an evil congregation. And who is he referring to? The 10 spies that came back with a negative report. Remember, there were 12. Two of them remained kosher. 10 of them went rogue. And God calls them an evil congregation. In the Hebrew, it's Ada. Ada hara'a. Ra'a means evil, the evil. Eda means congregation. God calls them a congregation. So here we see that a minimum congregation is 10. 
Okay, now this should shock you, as it shocks me. We derive the concept of minion, a congregation, 10. We derive that from the spies. You couldn't have had a better <laughs> source for this, a more pleasant source. It has to come from the spies. Of course, the answer is, as explained in the good books, that that's precisely the message. You can take 10 bad apples, it still makes a minion. You can still say Kaddish. You can still, uh, you know, whatever you need to do congregationally. Okay, listen, these 10 ended up apparently perishing in a plague, which we'll get to. We'll see Rashi on that. But the point is, 10, we don't, we don't check your, um, you know, when somebody walks into Shul, you don't check their, I don't know what, what they would have, like a Jew card. No, I mean, you want to make sure that we're, but, but you, you don't check their, um, righteousness card it's like oh how many myths have you done lately like oh have you um gone into israel and come back with a bad report i mean we don't that's not a question that's that's on the table right assuming you're 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 a jewish well in the case of uh, a communal prayer at least traditionally it's a jewish male over 13 assuming that's the case that's all the criteria we need in this case it, it, the, the model is, is a negative one, and that proves the point. The point is, we don't look at a person's righteousness or lack thereof to be part of a minion. Ray, do you want to jump in? I just thought that maybe the word you were looking for was credentials, but mm. it's not probably. Yes, yes. Ray, that's why we need you. <laughs> Get the perfect words. Credentials, yes. We don't check, thank you, that's much better than what I could card. Who says that? Yes, you don't check credentials. Exactly. You could be, not you, but one could be of the 10 spy caliber counted for the minion. They'll make the minion. We don't, that's, that's the power of a minion of 10 people gathered together. Let's continue back inside. Let's jump back in. Um, they're causing, sorry, who are causing the Israelites, right? The 10 spies caused the Israelites to complain against me. Uh, Rashi says, the spies caused them to complain against me. I have heard. Oh, wow. No, I have to read this whole thing. To complain against me. The complaints of the children of Israel, which they, the spies, caused them to complain against me, I have heard. Basically, Rashi says, you got to kind of reorient the verse. Hey, Mark. Great to see you. Hi, Hey. As I live, Rashi says, when God says, as I live, this is what's going to happen. That's a term denoting an oath. That's God saying, you know, my by God, but it's by by himself. So as I live, um, if not, so will I do. I.e., if I do not do as you have spoken into my ears, it is if I it is it is as if I do not live as it were. Okay, that's a lot of words to basically say. God is promising; He's definitely going to do this. As you've spoken, that you requested from me, or if we had only died. In this desert. In other words, Moses himself gave this as an option. Moses himself said that the option would be don't kill them right away, but you know, allow them to die over the years, and that's exactly what's going to happen. In this desert, your corpses shall fall, your entire number, all those who were counted. Rashi, all those counted in any census which was numbered. For example, going to or returning from war, contributing shekels, all those listed. Those tallies will die. They are all those, in other words, who was included in this decree to perish, all those from the age of 20 and up, excluding the tribe of Levi, 
who were not counted from the age of 20, but from the age of one month. Ah, right. We knew that, right? The Levites were counted. Well, they were counted multiple times. Uh, one month, 30, 25, whatever. But the point is that the, uh, uh, the Levites were counted also from one month, and so they're not part of this decree of those that would perish over the next 40 years. But as for you, your corpses will fall, shall fall. So since in the previous verse he spoke about bringing the children to the land, and now he wants to say, but as for you, you shall die, it is appropriate to use the term atem, literally you. In other words, they, your children, they will go into the land, ultimately, after 40 years. You will not. Your children shall wander the desert for 40 years. Not one of them died before the age of 60. That's kind of cool. Anyone who, just uh, do the math with me. Anyone who was 20 and above at that point was going to die over the next 40 years and never go into to Israel. But imagine someone was 19 years old and just to make it easy, 364 days, one day before their 20th birthday. Mazel tov. They get to, they get to go in. They were guaranteed to live for 40 years to make it into Israel. Are you with me on this? No one that was under 20 died over the next 40 years because the decree was all those 20 and over are not going to make it. Anyone, un- anyone under will make it. So if somebody was 19 and three quarters, they were guaranteed to live another 40 years. That's what Rashi says. Not one of them, not one of the kids died before the age of 60. This is why 40 years was decreed so that those who were 20 years old would reach the age of 60. The first year was included, although it preceded dispatching the spies. Uh, yeah, this answers a question that I've pointed out. It wasn't really 40 years, it was 39 years. Because they went into Israel in the 40th year after the Exodus, but this was one year after the Exodus, which means there's only 39 years af- from this point on. But Rashi says the first year was included, although it preceded dispatching the spies. Why? For from the time they made the golden calf in year one, this decree had been in God's mind, but he waited until their measure of wickedness was filled. In other words, God already had a mind at the sin of the golden calf, that this generation, probably not going to go into Israel. But the straw that broke the camel's back, right, so to speak, was the sin of the spies. God basically says, yeah, it's a 40-year decree. This is what it is stated, but on the day I make an accounting, at the time of the spies, I shall reckon their sin. And was, when I make an accounting, I'm going to reckon their sin, their previous sin. The time of the spies, I'm like, you know what, forget it. And even back in the day, by the golden calf, they also deserved it then. Here too it says, you will bear your iniquities, in the plural indicating two iniquities, one of the calf and one of the complaint, the spies. In calculating their ages, Scripture considers part of a year like a whole year, and when they entered the 60th year, those who had been 20 years old now died. In other words, those that were over 20 died at the age of 60. To bear your defection, Targum says, they will endure your guilt. Your children will have to wander for 40 years. That's your fault. Um, uh, ba, 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 ba. Thus you will come to know my alienation because of the wandering for 40 years. What does that mean? That you alienated your hearts from following me. So I, it's interesting that Rashi clarifies. Not that God is really alienated, 
but that you guys alienated yourselves from God. You know, there's a, uh, there's a, I don't know what it is, like an anecdote, uh, uh, something that says that, you know, when you feel like God's back is turned to you, right? You might want to check the mirror and, and just double check to make sure that your back is not turned to, to God, right? Because God never really turns his back on us. It's more of like, we turn away and then we're like, where's God? It's like, he's right where you left him, right? He's, I told you the story about my grandfather when he shechted in Sandusky. Did I say this? Did I tell you guys this story? I feel like I did. Yeah. He, he, he chickens? No, no, no. He, so he used to, he went to, he used to shecht for years. He, he had a, there was a shlachta, it's a slaughterhouse in Sandusky, Ohio, on the water. And he, of course he lived in Pittsburgh. So he used to travel, it was a three and a half hour, I told this in a different class, I think. Anyway, it's a three and a half hour drive from Pittsburgh to Sandusky. And he used to leave, he used to leave 2.30 in the morning. By the way, he was in, I, I mean, I remember he used to do this and that would have been the 80s and he was born in 22. He would have been in his 60s. And he would wake up 2.30 in the morning. You hear the schedule? 2.30 a.m. Get into a car. They had a driver. There was two, two, my grandfather and someone else, another rabbi who would shecht. And then there was a driver. So the driver would drive them from Pittsburgh to Sandusky. They would leave at 2.30 a.m. Three and a half hours later, 6 a.m. That's when it started. 6 a.m. And then they would work for however number of hours and drive back. And that was it. Um... Maybe he stayed over some days. I, I don't remember. You know, it's, it's been it's been years. Anyway, so I was in Pittsburgh for his yard set, for his first yard set a few weeks ago, and the driver says to me the following story. He's like, "Did I ever tell you the story about uh, your grandfather?" I don't want to give it away. So I'm like, "No, what story?" So he's like, "Let me tell you the story." So what he says, you know, no one talked in the car. It was like the rule. I drove. Rabbi Darren sat in the front seat, and he fell asleep. And your grandfather, you know, he was the senior member of the crew, so he would lie down in the back seat. He had like a pillow and some blankets. And he would lie down in the back seat and he would sleep for the duration of the ride. They made on schedule, they made a stop in somewhere in a city in, in Ohio. And they stopped an hour and a half in. So like 4 a.m. they stopped every single day. They stayed 2.30 they left. Four o'clock an hour, hour later, they stopped for a few minutes, bathroom, whatever, a little break, a little stretch. Everyone got back in and that was it. And again, no one talked. Everyone just silently got into the car. This guy drove. They both slept. That was it. One day, they do the usual. They get out, 4 a.m. at the stop. Everyone gets back in. They drive to the, to, they get to the, the Schlachters, they get to the slaughterhouse in Sandusky. And they get out of the car and they realize my grandfather's not there. It's not there. They had looked back and they saw pillows and blankets and they thought, you know, like, because the old, they, they thought they saw what looked like a person lying down because everyone just got in at their own pace. Meanwhile, they left him. So they turned straight around and they went back to the, to the gas station. It took two hours. Remember, it was four to six from the gas station, four to six. So now 8 a.m. They get there. My grandfather's waiting there for four hours. And he was just kind of saying like, 
you know, this is before cell phones, obviously. Like, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> who are you going to call? So he just waited at, at, at that point, you know, and you're in a gas station in Ohio and your crew has left you behind. What do you do? You just wait. Anyway, it was it's it was like a funny. I don't know if it's funny. It was funny then, but it was kind of like a you know reflection that the driver told me. The guy, you know, he was the driver. He told me that story just a few weeks ago. Why do I bring it up? Why do I bring it up? Um, yeah, I bring it up because Rashi pointed out that when a person feels like um, you know, like God's back is turned to them. The question is, hold on, did you turn away from God? Like, just first, first ask yourself the following, not you, it's not, it's not to anyone here, but I'm saying, that for one, a person should ask themselves the following question. Did I turn away from God? Right, because God, this is the connection. God is right, God is still where he was. We're the ones that went to Sandusky without him. In other words, we're the ones that left him behind. God is, God doesn't go anywhere. God is always right here. The question is, where are we? Like, we moved on, we have all these things, we're busy, we're working, we're, we're intellectual, we're sophisticated, you know, we're evolved, blah, 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 blah. We have all these things that we're involved in, and God's like, okay, like, whenever you need me, I'm, I'm here. So that's what Moses is telling the people. He's like, you guys checked out. God is still around. You guys checked out. You guys opted out, okay? You gotta, you gotta work on that. You gotta fix that. All right, back inside. Back inside. That's called, that's alienation. Alienation means that you turned away from God. Um, yeah. As for the man who, got, who Moses sent out to scout the land to return and cause to complain, uh, Rashi, when they returned from scouting the land, they caused the entire congregation to complain against him by spreading slander. So those men died. The ten spies, they died. The expression hotsat diba implies instructing to speak, for they ply the tongue of a man to speak about something. So interesting. When you sow rumors, fake rumors, you cause people to talk about it. So you're manipulating their mouth almost. You're, you're, you're causing them to speak. Right? They ply the tongue of a man to speak about something, as in making the lips of the sleeping speak. It may be either for good or bad. And that is why it says here, who spread an evil report about the land, because a report can also be good. In this case, it's an evil report. Uh, the word diba doesn't necessarily mean bad. It's a report. But a diba ra'a means a bad report. Um, okay. Uh, in French, diba can mean talk or gossip, which already has a negative connotation there. Um, in the play before the Lord, they died through that death which was fitting for them, measure for measure. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You guys ready to get a little gory here? Apologies. They had sinned with their tongue, and now in retribution, here's what, if, okay. We're about to get into what happened to the 10 spies. They died in a plague. How? In case you're wondering. Their tongues extended to their navels. Worms came out from their tongues and, and entered their navels. Ooh. This is what, I'm just reading Rashi. Folks, do not shoot the messenger. This is from the Talmud. This is why scripture says in the plague, rather than in a plague, 
And this is also the meaning of before the Lord in, the plague, in that plague which was fitting for them according to the methods of the Holy and Blessed Be He, namely that He meets out measure for measure, Mida Kenegad Mida. So they sin with their tongues and something horrific, absolutely horrific happened with their tongues. Okay. Lesson learned. Do not, do not um, talk smack about God or the land of Israel or dissuade the Jewish people from going into the land. All right, duly noted. Let's just add that to the old info bank. All right, what about Joshua and Caleb? They remained alive. What does that mean? That they remained alive of the men. It's a weird expression. Rashi, it teaches that they took the spies' portion in the land and replaced them in life, as it were. In other words, they actually ended up getting whatever their inheritance would have been, these 10 spies. They got the inheritance. Now, that's how that story would have ended, if not for the next drama, the Ma'pilim, the people that said, no, 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 we want to go. All right. So they rose to the mountaintop, that is the route leading up to the land of Israel, and said to Moses, said to the people, we are ready to go up to the land of Israel, to which the Lord spoke to give us, to let us go up there. For we have sinned by saying, it is, is it not better for us to return to Egypt? They acknowledge their sin and they want to fix it. And how do they want to fix it? By now going into Israel. And Moses Rabbi, says it will not. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, should I interrupt you? Um, I've got a really cool note. Or interesting note. About yeah. the plague that afflicted them. Oh, yeah. What is Sota? It's the Talmud. It's Talmud attracted. Okay. It's, uh, it's from Sota. It says their navels were involved, for they spoke against the land of Israel, which is considered the navel center of the world to see ezekiel nice they were punished they were punished with worms for just as the worm attacks and destroys plants with its mouth so too the spies attack with their mouths interesting so their mouths were involved with the slander their navels represent the navel of the earth which is israel and the worms also attack with the uh with with their mouths Still gruesome and brutal. Um, yeah. So now we have the next drama is this group, this group of people says, no, let's go. Let's, let's do it. God said, not, we're not going to go in 40 years. Let's go up right now. Moses told them, why do you transgress the word of the Lord? It will not succeed. What you are doing will not succeed. For you have turned away. That is to say, this will happen to you because you have turned away, etc." God is, you turned away already. You opted out. It's too late. But they defiantly ascended. Vayapilu. It's a term that connotes insolence. Chutzpah. Um, bold, arrogant boldness. So that's what they're known in Hebrew for all time. The ma'apilim. The group of insolent, arrogant, bold individuals who decided that they know better and they're going to tell God and Moses just where and when they're going to go up to the land of Israel. They say, oh, you, you're telling us we're not going to go? We're going to go. There's another interpretation that Vayapilu interprets it as darkness, that they went in darkness without permission. Just etymologically, there's different un understandings. Either way, we know that what they did was wrong. It's just trying to explain the word Vayapilu. Either it means insolence and, and arrogant boldness, or it means darkness without permission and direction. Well, it didn't end well because the Amalekites and Canaanites crushed them. 
Um, uh, Rashi says, as in, I crushed it, grinding it, implying blow after blow. They were really devastated until Kharma, which is the, na- the name of the place, which means destruction, that commemorates the event which took place there. It's actually named after that destruction and devastation. So I want to talk about two things now. The psychology of the Mapilim, of this group of people that said, let's go. And then I want to go, circle back to how I ended yesterday's class with a deeper take on this whole story. First of all, the psychology. The author of it says the following. You know, on, on a, I would say on a straightforward level, it's what we discussed before. When you tell someone, this is what you're going to do, then their natural reaction is, I don't want to do it. And then you tell someone, you can't do this. Their natural reaction is, I want to do it. It's just the reverse psychology. We see that with children, but you know what? We see that with, see that with us as well. What it got, I mean, Adam and Eve, the first human beings. There you go. It's literally the first human story. The first story is God says, you can have everything you want except for this. And the next thing you know, cut to the next scene. They're like, they're munching under a fig tree. Like, like how do I, you know, get it? The, you tell someone it's forbidden, now they want it. Forbidden fruit tastes sweeter. That's the way it is. Mayim genuvim. Stolen waters is a, a verse from, I don't know, Proverbs somewhere. Uh, stolen waters taste sweeter. Stolen water tastes, I'm not, no one's, no one should steal your neighbor's well water. I'm just saying. But stolen waters taste sweeter. By the way, this could apply in many different areas, etc. without getting into details. Why? It's human nature. What you can't have, you really want. So, so and, and what you can have, eh, eh, boring. So, what ha- so, what's going on here? God says, here's the promised land. Moses says, here's the promised land. And people are like, nope, we don't want it. It's terrible. It's no good. We're going to die. It's, we're, we're, we're afraid. So, then God says, okay. So, you're not going to go in. So, you will not. So, you are now banned from the land. Your children will go in. You're not going to go in. Now what? Now, now the people say, we want to go in. So, it's just like, it's the reverse. But the author of Tanya says something, I think, a, with a little, bit of a little bit of a twist. He says, you know what this represents? Not just human psychology, but it actually re- um, reflects the soul. What, what, does he mean? What, 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 what does he mean? He says, deep down, within everyone, there lies a godly soul. And the godly soul wants to do the right thing, innately. Not because it's taught that way, but, but because that's its nature. It's, everything has its nature. It's organically programmed nature. It's nature. The nature of the godly soul is to want to do what God wants. That's what it wants. It's just that oftentimes there are other things that get in the way of what we would call our core divine desire. So we want to do the right thing, but, you know, stuff gets in the way. And we get distracted. And we get confused. And we might even think that we don't want to, even though we, deep down, we certainly want to. So what's going on? Did the Jewish people want to go into Israel? Depends, right? At the core level, the answer is, of course. On their neshama level, on their soul level, yeah, absolutely. But... The fear got in the way, the body got in the way, the ego got in the way, the other stuff got in the way. And so they said, no, 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 we don't want to go in, we're afraid. So God says, that's it, no going in for you, no soup for you, no going in, you're out, you're banned. The author Rebbe says that served as a harsh rebuke 
or as a harsh clap, it was like it hit them hard and it broke the external layers that cover their true desire. And at that point, their true desire came forth, their desire to go into the land of Israel poured forth. And they said, you know what? We do want to go in. It's not just simply the idea of reverse psychology. It's a little bit more spiritual than that. It's that they really did want to go into the land. It's just that the, that that was blocked by layers of distraction. When God came came down harsh on them and said, that's it. You're going to die in the desert. That scared them. It basically, to use the word, you know, a criminal word, it scared them straight. You know, it's like the kid that goes shoplifting and, uh, you know, they steal a piece of gum from the corner store, the five cent piece of gum. And they get busted and, you know, they get, they get the old, they, they get, you know, the, the, the whole riot act read against them and that they're, they're never going to touch anything again, you know, in a good way. In other words, because deep down they know it's wrong. They know what's right and wrong. It's just, you know, they got excited about something or, or, or in this case, nervous about something. But kind of getting read the riot act can break the, the external distraction and bring out the truth, which is that this person is an honest person, or in this case, these people did really want to go into Israel. So on the one hand, the Ma'apilim, the ones who were stubborn and decided to go in anyway, that represents a good thing, because their core really was aligned with Israel and God's will. But when God said, you can't go in, that changed the game, that changed the rules of the game, and now they were not going to be able to be successful. So their heart might have been in the right place, right? Their heart might have been finally in the right place of wanting to do the right thing. But at this point, it was not the right thing anymore. So timing still matters, right? If they had wanted to go into Israel like a day earlier, wouldn't have been a problem. But a day later, now that's off the table. So now you wanting to go into Israel, not you, but them wanting to go into Israel is actually now the wrong thing. My, how things flip. But anyway, I think the positive lesson that we can learn from this is how, you know, even when we make mistakes, I'm talking about like spiritual, moral mistakes, not like uh, a math equation gone, gone rogue, gone wrong, but like, you know, a mistake. It, deep down, we want to do the right thing. Um, I'll tell you a bit of a controversial, not really, but just it's going to sound maybe a little strange. In Jewish law, so a Jewish marriage is... Um, is ended with a Jewish writ of divorce known as a get. And a get needs to come, according to Jewish law, uh, from the husband, has to be given from the husband to the wife, which creates a very, um, the potential for a very unfortunate scenario where the wife, by all accounts, the marriage is over and the wife wants a divorce, but the husband is being stubborn and saying, I'm not going to give you a divorce. And so in, in American law, it's it, it could be unilateral either side. But in Jewish law, the get has to go from husband to wife. And again, that creates a, potentially a, a very, you know, a very not great uh, possibility where a husband could, could kind of, you know, hold it over her head and, and try to negotiate in a settlement, whatever it is. So it... it Hear me out for a second. Jewish law recognizes this. And Jewish law has a provision, which is illegal in America. 
You know what Jewish law says? Kaifen Isai, you beat him until he acquiesces to give the get. Are you with me on this? If you have a, is it recalcitrant? I don't know if that's the right word. If you have a, more than stubborn, if you have a, uh, a husband who refuses to give his wife a get, you give him a little clap until he says, okay, I'll give it. Now listen, there was, a, there was an operation like this that went down in Jersey, and I believe there were individuals that were arrested, but they were operating on original Jewish law. You have to also follow the laws of the land, which is why I'm saying you can't do this today. But I'm saying an OG Jewish law, right? An original Jewish law. Rambam writes, a guy doesn't give a get, he has to give a get. But here's the twist. A get has to be given willingly. That's one of the, one of the rules of a get, it has to be given willingly. So what does Maimani say? I'm going to say it again. Kaifen I say, again, you, and to add Sha'imer until he says, writes Ani, I want to give it. So the commentator asks the question, what? How is that willing? He only said, yes, I'm willing after, under duress. duress. So how is that consensual? Listen to this. Rambam said, I don't know if the Rambam says this. He may say this, or maybe it's the Hasidic understanding of this, the deeper understanding of this. I'm forgetting already which is the source and which is the interpretation. Basically, I think maybe Maimonides says this straight up. Because every single Jew wants to do the right thing. Deep down, he, this guy wants to do the right thing. It's just his ego, he's stubborn, he's angry, he's upset, he's nervous, he's this, he's that. You know, all the emotions that go on, right? So he's very emotional. So when he says no, that's not the real him speaking. That's the scared him speaking. That's the angry him speaking. It's not the real him. The real him is an ashama. The real him says, of course, I want to do. So to bring out the real yes, that is really what he wants to do, sometimes it needs a little bit. You got to break. Uh, <laughs> hold on. You got to break the outer surface. I'm not saying yeah. you got to cut, cut through the facade to get to the true, the true desire. This is, uh, I, okay, all right, let's bring it back to our case. Basically, <laughs> I feel like we're opening cans of worms. Again, do yeah. not try this at home. Yeah. Do not try this at home and do, oh, cans you of have to, And you have to be able to locate said guy that is not doing the best. Well, you can have a shalia. You can have a shalia. You can have, yeah, you can have a representative, a messenger, but you, he's got to be tracked down at some point, yeah. Anyway, listen, we'll, we'll leave all, the, all this. Uh, this is what's just an example, probably the starkest example of where in halacha we see this principle applied that deep down the person does want to do the right thing. It's like a shocking example of this. Again, do not, this is by no means, please do not consider this any, I am not dispensing legal advice or practical advice. I'm just sharing with you a concept in halacha which is, in this case, you could, you know, I don't know what the right way, toss them around a little bit and thus evoke the consent, and that will be considered 100% consensual, 100% from him, because deep down, that's what he really wants. Back to our story, back to our story. Yeah. If I can interrupt you. I was at a singles dinner many years ago at Beth Jacob. 
And Rabbi Feldman, Alon Feldman, spoke about this. And so apparently there is a modern-day equivalent. He said that if a man refuses to give a gap, he'll speak with him and he still refuses, he will, from his pulpit, he will say, don't do business with this man. He refuses to give his wife a gap. There's a list in the Jewish Times. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was, that was the first check itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of these things where halach, modern halachists are trying to figure out a way how to preempt this from happening. One way to preempt it is what's being called today the halachic prenup, which is basically a document which says to the effect that if she, if the wife wants a divorce, then, then it's considered as if he is consenting from now about the divorce. Does that make sense? You're getting, even before the marriage, consent in the case that she wants. There, I, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but there is, and the question is, is that valid? And the most rabbi, many rabbis say yes, some say not 100%, but it's a way in which at least there's some protection Anyway, all right, we're going to leave this aside. The point of all this is that according to... Yeah, Ray. Well, I wanted to read something to you, but it would take a minute. But is this the appropriate time you want to... Well, let me, let, me, let, me wrap, let, me wrap this, let me wrap this idea. Okay. So getting back to the spies... Uh, sorry, getting back to the Jewish people then, the Mapilim. Uh, so God says, so they're like, oh, we don't want, they're, they're, they were of the criers. Oh, we don't want to go in. We're not going to be able to do it. We're going to get killed. They're gonna, the giants are going to eat us up, blah, blah, blah. Then God says, all right, so that's it. You're punished. You're not going to go in. You're going to wander for 40 years. You're going to die out. Your kids are going to go in. You'll never see the promised land. And now they're like, oh, we want to go. What happened? It's not just reverse psychology. It's that deep down they wanted to go the whole time. It's just, just their fear got the better of them. So when God came down harsh on them, when God gave them a little bit of a clap, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a smackdown, conceptually, not physically, obviously. So what happened was they woke up and their true desire poured forth, their true desire of, um, of going into land. But at this point, it was misplaced because it was not for them. Okay, so at this point, I feel like we wrapped up the story. And Ray, you want to jump in? Yeah, it's not it's not reflection on what you just said, nothing. Um, this is something I wrote on behalf of the DPP people. A portion of Parsha we come to hear. You um, you honor our simhas with lots of cheer. Of course, there's always Rashi with his explanation and the rest of us with participation. No matter the lesson, there's always your jokes for sure. A teacher and entertainer, you're so much more. For the past 16 years, um, no matter where you are, uh, you're doing DPP even from behind the steering wheel of your car. So wherever you go, whatever you do, we look forward to doing DPP with you. Oh, wow. Love that. Ray, <laughs> virtual hugs. That was amazing. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you very much. That was very, very uh, beautifully written and very uh, heartfelt and 
went straight. It says the varman hayotzim and eleven nechnasim eleven words that come from the heart enter the heart. That certainly entered my heart. Thank you very much. Wow, beautiful. But there's still one more piece for today. <laughs> one quick piece. No, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. We got it in. Um, so the one thing that I wanted to mention is the spiritual understanding of, you know, a, a more mystical understanding of, of what the spies wanted and where they went wrong and how this whole thing, uh, you know, uh, happened. Um, according to Hasidic philosophy, which is based on Kabbalah, the mystical understanding, the spies had an agenda, but not necessarily the one that we've been discussing up until now. You see, life in the desert was spiritually idyllic. It was beautiful. It was serene. It was sacred. There was a sanctuary. They were protected. It was very much an isolated divine space. From the moment that they had been taken out of Egypt, all their needs had been taken care of physically and spiritually. They had Moses as the leader. Yes, there were ups and downs, but there was Moses the leader the clouds of glory to protect them. There was a Be'er Shomirim, the well of Miriam, the, the, the manna from heaven. They were protected from all sides. There were no snakes and scorpions, the heat of the desert. Can you imagine if we had clouds of glory protecting us from the heat of Atlanta? Be amazing. Be amazing. I think we're going up to 100 degrees today. So like, it was, it was beautiful. Spiritually, let's focus on the spirituality. Spiritually, it was ideal. It was isolated, no distractions. No one had to go. No one had to wake up early and go to work. You didn't have to earn any money. You had everything you needed. Everything was taken care of. It was the ideal environment. It was like a kid going to yeshiva. Tuition is paid for. Food is provided in the cafeteria. All you have to do is show up and learn. It was what daven and learn all day. That's it. No other worries. I, I know if you got my my kids on the line, they would say, "What do you mean no worries? There's all this other stuff." But overall very much focused on the spiritual stuff. And these spies knew they were great people. They knew that the moment they would step foot in Israel, all that would stop. No more mana, no more miraculous water, no more clouds of glory. Now they'll have to physically become soldiers, create an army, battle the nations, become farmers, work the land, eke out bread from the earth like normal people. And that was going to take away from their time of study, prayer, and meditation, and doing mitzvot. And they were afraid. They were not afraid of the giants. They were afraid of the land itself, not Israel. They were afraid of the earth. They were afraid of becoming an earthly people. They said, to quote a verse earlier this, that we read a few days ago, they said about Israel, it's a land that consumes its inhabitants. The simple meaning is people were dying everywhere as a distraction technique that got. But the deeper meaning is, the land consumes its inhabitants. We will be consumed by the land. We'll be consumed by materialism. We'll be consumed by the need to go to work, the need to make money, the need to go shopping, the need to cook. That's going to dominate our lives. It will consume us. We'll have no time or no brain space, no energy, no heart space left for the deeper, the deeper things in life, for spiritual connection. And they were afraid of that. And that's why they said, they, this land, this foe is even more powerful than God. Rashi said, when they say, it doesn't only mean from us, but it means from God. Even God can't do this. Why? Because God's not going to do this. God is not going to intervene anymore. They knew that the moment they step into Israel, God's going to say, no, 
You guys got a good ride. Now you're on your own. Build a good life. Be a mensch. Find some time to study Torah. Find some time to pray. Good luck. Good luck, Boychik. That's what God was going to say. And they were afraid. They didn't trust themselves. And what about God? God is not going to intervene. If God was intervening, they wouldn't leave the desert. They would stay there. And that was their fear. That was their fear. And so their, their desire was not to spread a false report about the land, but to share the truth that going to Israel would absolutely 100% forever alter their state of being. It would move them from spiritual creatures in a protected spiritual cocoon to physical beings in a physical land needing to do physical activities to survive. And they were afraid of that. And the people became afraid of that. And honestly, at the end, they got what they wanted. 40 more years of spiritual cocoon. 40 more years of spiritual protection. The clouds of glory, the manna from heaven, the well of Miriam. They got all of the above. Moses for 40 years telling them what to do and not to do. They got it all until they passed away. Sounds great. Sounds lovely. So what's the problem? The problem is that's not what God wanted. That's not what God wants. God does not want us to remain in a spiritual bubble. God wants us to enter the land, to go into a physical space, and there, in that earthly environment, to transform it into a space that is conducive for spirituality as well. That's what God wants from us. We are not created to remain spiritually separated, spiritually aloof, spiritually detached. We are created to make a difference in a physical environment. So yes, they had a year. They had a year in which they could indulge spiritually. But after that, the training wheels wheels were supposed to come off. They were supposed to be sent into Israel. Go. Good luck. You have your training. You have your inspiration. Go transform this place. We do this to our kids. We raise them in, hopefully, right, secure environments. Environments that are like a bubble. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. We raise them in a, sta- in a safe space. And then we send them out into the world. We say, good luck, Fievel. Go west. Right? We tell our kids, right, not so whatever. Tell our kids, go west or go, go out and be a mensch, be a good person. And it's not going to be easy. It's easier to stay, easier to stay at home. It's harder to go. The Rebbe likens it to the state of pregnancy, right? State of pregnancy. The fetus, the, the person, let's say the person. I'm not getting into origin of life debate here, a question, but the person never has it better than those nine months. Why? You don't have to eat. You don't have to drink. I mean, all your food nourishment is provided. You got a, you got a tube. You got a, um, a um, what's it called? Umbilical cord. Umbilical cord. Thank you. <laughs> Science. Umbilical cord. You got a cord. You're plugged in. You got everything you need. You got food. You got drink. Your, the, your mother takes care of you. There's, spiritually, the Talmud says, there's an angel that teaches you Torah. It's warm. It's cozy. Everything's fine. And then birth. 
Is it any wonder that we cry when we're born? It's like, what happened now? I'm on my own. Ah, like, what is this? What is this? This is terrible. Things were so good. What's going on? But that's real life. Life is lived. Real life begins out, not in. That's where real life begins. Until then, you're not, you're not independent. You don't have your own life. Your life is your mother's. When you're out, now at least you have a shot. I know Jewish mothers are very loving. But like now you have a shot of being your own person. Okay. Right? So the point is that, that that's where independence begins. And on a, on, a, uh, on a national level, this was that moment. They were at that crossroads. Going into the land would change everything. But that's the next stage. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. They said, we're afraid. Essentially, they said, we're afraid. We don't want to lose this. This is too magical. It's too comfortable. It's too beautiful. We don't want to lose it. We don't want to lose it by going into the big world and having to contend with, you know, all these challenges, essentially. They didn't want to deal with it. And you know what? God says, you don't have to. Your kids will. You don't have to. Rabbi Arf. Yeah. Um, one thing is problematic to me. We believe that God is above space and time. And so when the when the Parsha starts off, Hashem spoke to Moses saying, send for yourselves men, let them spy out the land of Canaan. He knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So it, and he knew about the report they were going to bring back. So he thought we weren't ready to go in. He knew that we weren't ready to go in. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't intervene. Well, I mean, he does sometimes. But like not, I, it, this had to take a natural course. In other words, it had to happen like this, where God basically communicates, this is the next stage. And I'm not going to tell you how even to do this. You want to send spies. You don't want to send spies. You want to just trust in me. This is going to be you. And that even creates more panic. It's like, oh, no, now it's on me. That's a lot of responsibility. I'd rather crawl back into the clouds of glory, call it a day. It's, it's cozier under my covers. It's much more cozy. I have to go out there and start making decisions and start contending with others and myself. That's for the birds, not for me. That's that. Forget about it. Forget about it. And that's what happened. So did God know that? Yeah. But was it was it the stage? Did that have to happen? Yeah. Also, because you know what? If it didn't happen, then it would probably take another 40 years. If you were waited 40 years, it might take another 40 years. It's got to the the, the 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 process of maturation, really, and taking responsibility and owning it. I, I think the bottom line lesson is it's a process. It may take a few years, I, but, but it's got to start with, you know, it's got to start with, you know, a communication of, all right, now you make decisions. And the person might say, I'm not going to like, okay, but you'll have to soon. And then that's how the process gets started. Um, I, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful narrative on many levels. And it reminds us once again of our task, which is not to hide and not to run and not to even isolate spiritually, not to run to shoal and close the doors and say, that's it, I'm not moving here for the next 40 years. That's nice, but that's not where the magic happens. The magic happens out there in the world, interacting with people, doing things, going to work, 
you know, business and eating and just all the physical stuff being done for a higher purpose. So with this, we close it out. Let's remember our mission, our task, which is to make this world a beautiful place, to transform it to a place of light and a place of holiness. Thank you for joining me today for DBP. See you tomorrow. No cliffhangers, but tomorrow, oof, don't miss it. We'll see you, Ray. We'll see you, Joy, Sarah, Mark, and Olia. Great to see you guys. Take care, everybody. Are Have a wonderful day. Yes, yes, yes. We are back tomorrow because there's no JLI. Okay. Yes, yeah. Thanks for asking to clarify. No JLI. JLI Thursday is finished, so we're back on to five five day a week DPP. And tonight, Torah studies. Yes, seven thirty. Okay. Thanks for the reminder. Tonight we talk about something phenomenal, and I know what it is. It's just my head is in a different place. Tonight we talk about. Hold on. Torah studies right here. Tonight we talk about, oh, divine providence. This is going to be an amazing class. What does it mean that God is watching? It's not as ominous as it sounds. What does it mean that God is watching? To what extent and how does that um, uh, play into our Torah portion? All right, so join me tonight, 7.30. It's related to the spies. Join me tonight, 7.30. The spies are watching and so is God. And so am I. I'll see if you're on or not. I'm kidding. All right. We'll see you tonight, 730, either in person or on Zoom. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Take care.